Welcome to this week's episode of The Read Out Loud, a weekly biotech podcast from STAT. I'm Damian Garde, recording from STAT's worldwide headquarters in Boston. I'm Adam Forestein, also coming to you from Boston. And I'm Rebecca Robbins, recording from STAT's San Francisco Bureau. It is Thursday, August 8th, and here's what we're going to talk about this week. We are devoting this entire episode to the big news of the week. Novartis is in crisis after a scandal involving a cover-up of manipulated data supporting its landmark gene therapy approval. First, we'll walk you through the details of what happened when. Then we'll discuss what it all means for Vasnera Simon, Novartis's 43-year-old CEO who's on a mission to change the company's culture. And finally, we'll map out the unanswered questions in the industry's latest scandal. But first, a word about Stat Plus. Enjoying the Read Out Loud? You can get more exclusive coverage from Adam, Rebecca, Damien, and others at STAT with a STAT Plus subscription. STAT Plus delivers daily, market-moving coverage of biotech, pharma, and the life sciences. By subscribing today, you'll get access to exclusive stories from our award-winning team every day. And as a special thanks to you, our podcast listener, subscribe to STAT Plus now and enjoy 10% off your first year by using the code POD, P-O-D. We hope you enjoy Stat Plus, and thanks for being a Read Out Loud listener. So guys, it's been an interesting week in Basel, Switzerland. It sure has. So as briefly as possible, here's the gist of the news story. On Tuesday, the FDA revealed that some Novartis employees had fabricated data related to Zolgensma, the company's gene therapy for spinal muscular atrophy. And perhaps most importantly, Novartis knew about that for more than three months before it told the FDA. And during that three months, the FDA approved Zolgensma. So needless to say, that was a surprise. And it doesn't exactly make Novartis look good. But there's a lot to unpack here. So let's start from the beginning. What's the timeline here? So according to Novartis, the fraud in question took place at Avexis before Novartis acquired Avexis. Avexis is the company that invented Zolgensma. So Novartis learned about it in mid-March, and they started an internal investigation to figure out what the deal was, according to the company. The drug was approved by the FDA in May, but Novartis didn't tell the FDA about the results of this investigation until June 28th, and then the FDA told the world on August 5th, and then Novartis issued a statement saying, basically, we stand by the product. What kind of data manipulation are we talking about here? Yeah, that's a good question, and this is an important point. So the data manipulation that we're talking about involves some mouse data. It involves a study that essentially was being used to help process development, essentially help bridge the process from making an earlier stage version of the gene therapy to what would become the commercial version of the gene therapy. And importantly, there was no clinical data. So this did not involve data in patients. And both Novartis and FDA said there was no reason to think that the product is unsafe or ineffective. Wow, that is such a low stakes thing to be sloppy on. That's what's kind of amazing. Yeah. And so the question that I think we all had was if Novartis knew about the data falsification in March, or at least knew that there was enough to mount an investigation, and it knew that the FDA was in the process of looking at all this data, including, you know, false data, to decide whether to approve Zolgensma, why did they wait until after they want approval to actually tell them? Right. So the timing of this for me is all wrong. So Novartis had said they wanted to have complete information before bringing it up. And then they said the delay had nothing to do with the approval. And that's all fine. But think about it that even if you wanted to sort of be the most generous that you can possibly be to Novartis, they knew about this in March. They wanted to look into it. Obviously, they didn't know what was going on. They spent some time investigating. But then they told the FDA in June 
why didn't they tell the public in June? If it was important enough to alert the FDA that there was this potential issue, to me, that's when the public disclosure should have happened. That, you know, as the same time that they're telling the FDA, they could have told the public, investors, everyone, hey, we found out this issue. We don't think it's a problem, but we wanted to let you know that we told the FDA about this. And the fact that they didn't do that and that it was actually the FDA, you know, essentially two months after that was the one to disclose this publicly. That to me is where the excuses and kind of the downplaying of this that Novartis has been doing kind of goes off the rails. Yeah, so the FDA is a pretty buttoned up operation that rarely issues statements of the strongly worded variety. So how did the agency respond to this? Very, very strongly. Um, I think we were all taken aback by the language in the announcement that FDA put out earlier this week. And the fact that they put out an announcement, I think, took Novartis by surprise. But what stood out to me was, one, they, they made very clear that the fact that Adam was just discussing, that there was this March discovery and then not until June 28th were they informed, was bothersome to them. There's a quote in there, and I'll read it. The agency will use its full authorities to take action, if appropriate, which may include civil or criminal penalties. That's a lot to say. And I think, you know, reading the tea leaves, it's pretty clear that there's some angry people in Maryland. And then if you didn't want to read the tea leaves, Scott Gottlieb, who until just a few months ago was the commissioner of the FDA, went on Twitter to basically say... This is the kind of thing you say when you're going to bring the hammer down. Like, the FDA is not joking. Yeah, and so BioTwitter celebrity Andy Biotech uh, noted on Twitter that he thought this was probably the most damning FDA communication on data integrity about a specific drug in, in recent memory. Do you guys agree with that assessment? Yeah, I mean, I think it is damning in that, again, as Damien noted, that the tone of this was that they were clearly angry about this. I ran this kind of by a regulatory consultant that I know. And I said, look, so you read the statement, like on a scale of one to 10, how angry does the FDA sound? And he was like, it's a 15. I mean, you don't see that kind of language very often and, and I think part of it was, and as we found out when, along with the statement, FDA sort of dumped a bunch of documentation looking back at the review. And what we found was that, you know, had the FDA known about this earlier, it would have delayed the review. Now, it probably wouldn't have changed the outcome that, you know, Zolgensma still would have been approved. But the FDA says it would have delayed the review. You essentially can't lie to the FDA. And when you submit data to the FDA, the FDA wants the data to be reliable and truthful. And in this case, for this little mouse study, it wasn't. And that's a big deal. Yeah. Also, this is conjecture. But so they granted this gene therapy, what they call the breakthrough therapy designation, which basically allows a drug company to cut the line. The normal process of submitting a drug for FDA approval is faster and more dedicated. So it's the FDA bending over backward in favor of Novartis. So if I'm over there at FDA, I would say we did literally everything we could to make this process easier for you. And now we find out that you were holding something back from us? Like, I think institutionally, that would be almost insulting. So what did Novartis have to say for itself? So the company put out a fairly brief statement that, like I said, just said, we stand by Zolgensma and kind of went over sort of the facts that we've already stated about, you know, what the data in question were. However, the next day, they did a conference call with analysts where CEO Vasner Simon kind of gave his first public statements about it. And, you know, they were unapologetic. Voss was insistent that this was an isolated issue stemming from, quote, a small number of Avexis employees. And he said that Novartis is currently, quote, in the process of exiting those employees, which has a certain digestive <laughs> connotation that I don't love, to be honest. I love the term exiting. That's just such a great management sort of doublespeak. You've been 
exited. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, actually, let's let's hear from Voss himself. I think there was a, a key quote. I think everyone in, in our organization can stand proud that we tried to do the right things in this instance. We understand um, the agency has a different perspective, which which we respect. But we've been tried to be transparent, thorough, science-based, and most importantly, patient-oriented to ensure that we never compromise patient safety, efficacy, or product quality at any moment during all of this. So, uh, the so again, that was uh, Novartis CEO, Vaz Narasimhan. Damien, what do you think about that statement? And what do you think this means for Novartis? You know, the proud, we tried to do all the right things is just weird. And then the fact that he relented that, you know, we understand the agency has a different perspective is like, if I were arrested for something and explained like, look, I think I did all the right things here. Now, I understand that the police have a different perspective. But <laughs> and so for Novartis at large, you know, obviously, this is bad press. And I think the immediate reaction to Voss's statement was a little bit of confusion and I think disappointment. I guess on the other hand, though, I'm not exactly sure what people would have wanted Novartis to say, because if they had done an about face and and said that, you know, we should have told FDA sooner, et cetera, et cetera, that would almost invite more questions about the seriousness of their management. So, you know, I don't know what's inside Voss's heart, but I can understand that you kind of have to stick with the decision you made now. So let's talk about Vaz himself. And we should note that Vaz is probably the only big pharma CEO who goes by a single name moniker. I can't think of anyone else who goes by Vaz. I never would basically calls him Vaz. So Vaz is a relatively new as a CEO of Novartis, right? Yeah, it's been a whirlwind 18 months for Vaz Narasimhan. So he took over Novartis. He had been sort of in waiting. In fact, Novartis had orchestrated a few kind of meet and greets with the press, and we were invited to one when Voss was still running the company's pharma division, and it had kind of been whispered that he was probably the next CEO. Anyway, he got off to a running start with the promise of changing the culture at Novartis, which, like a lot of big pharma companies, has dealt with bribery and scandal and, and etc. It's a company that traces its roots back to like 1859, so there's some skeletons in the past. And he inherited a scandal upon starting the job. If you recall, during the sort of Michael Cohen circus, Novartis got pulled in because Voss's predecessor's administration had paid Michael Cohen for basically access to President Trump back in the weird, dark days of early 2017 when nobody really knew what a Trump administration was going to look like. That was embarrassing. If you run a company that you say is trying to cure all human disease, you don't want your name associated with Michael Cohen. That was a fairly tawdry affair in the press. So that was rough for Voss. That was an early challenge. But, you know, I think he came through it well. And I think part of that was that he was able to completely disavow any responsibility for it. The difference with this one is that this Avexis data scandal is entirely under his tenure. And Rebecca, Vaz has been on a somewhat of a publicity tour recently, right? Yeah. So he sat down with The New York Times for a corner office interview that ran just two days before this scandal broke. And you have to think that Vaz probably knew that sort of this bad press was coming when he sat down with The New York Times reporter. And so I think in retrospect, there's something a little odd about sort of this lofty talk about changing the culture at Novartis. We should also note that Voss recently turned to LinkedIn to write about his exercise, wellness, and fitness routine. I think my favorite line was the part where he said he branches out in his reading materials beyond his normal reading on Novartis and, and medical news by reading things like The Economist and the Harvard Business Review, which don't feel like that much of a digression. All of that is to say that this goodwill tour seems a little strange in light of what we know now. 
Yeah, there were mentions there about his meditation, being a vegetarian, exercising vigorously six days a week, all those sorts of things. And again, the timing, given what we just learned this week about this data manipulation, it just seems like the timing there is a little bit suspect, I would say. Yeah, I don't know what happened uh, internally at Novartis. I do think they were caught off guard by the FDA's decision to publicize this. So it's entirely possible that while doing this interview and writing the LinkedIn Peloton advertisement, Voss didn't think that bad press was coming, that they thought that this thing would kind of resolve itself. Either way, though, it does interrupt, as you mentioned, the Goodwill Tour. And it's awkward for a lot of reasons. I mean, Voss, he's only 43 years old, which makes him the youngest person running a big pharma company right now. He has spoken, I think, convincingly to people about that commitment to culture change and has risen as a willing and I think accepted kind of figurehead in in an industry that is not the most popular business in the world right now. Comparisons maybe only to Ken Frazier, who runs Merck, who also has gotten a lot of good press and, and is warmly regarded. But otherwise, you know, pharma CEOs tend to be villains in the public consciousness. And so, yeah, this is a curveball for Voss, who, you know, the New York Times corner office, I mean, I can imagine that's a coup for any corporate PR department if you get your CEO sitting there speaking. I also made fun of his reading habits and, and the exercise thing and et cetera. But I was looking at reactions among, you know, non-poison-hearted, crass journalists on Twitter, and people reacted positively to Voss. I saw someone tweet, like, this is the best thing I've ever read a pharma CEO write with respect to his LinkedIn thing. And granted, the bar might be fairly low. <laughs> low bar, to be sure. So one thing about this, the tone of the coverage, including the coverage at statnews.com, some of which is authored by me personally, so this is sort of reflective, but it's framed the issue in the context of Voss, like as though he is sort of a metonym for Novartis, this company with thousands of employees. Is that fair? I mean, I think it's a good question. And in some respect, it's not fair that, you know, you can't sort of lay this all at the feet of Voss and and like that he was sort of this puppet master deciding we're going to bury this thing. I mean, this happened in a small biotech company that they acquired. Now, you know, ultimately, it's not Avexis. It is Novartis, and it's their ultimate responsibility. I think somebody noted that, you know, when Zolgensma received the approval, the Novartis press release that went out said Novartis secures or wins approval of, it didn't mention Avexis, but then when they put out the press release this week about this problem, they were quick to note that it was the Avexis subsidiary. So, all right, there's a little bit of like, you know, spin going on there. But yeah, I mean, you know, look, at the end of the day, though, we often just do that, right? The CEO becomes the, you know, sort of cliched, the buck stops here. I'm not sure I agree with that. I think the decision to not tell the FDA, not announce publicly that this investigation was happening back in March or any point throughout the spring was Voss's decision. And I think that's something that he can't just shove off to the Avexis subsidiary. I think that's fair. And I think, you know, even on the things that we might be ascribing to Voss that were outside his control, that's sort of the other side of the coin in terms of what Novartis seems to want. They're putting Voss front and center, and he is a compelling speaker. I think it's been a success so far, as we mentioned. His statements about changing the culture, I think, have been warmly received. But if you put your guy in New York Times corner office and make all these efforts to establish him as a fixture in the industry, the other side of it is, well, now we all know him really well. So when we think of Novartis, we think of Vosner Simon. And now something bad's happened to Novartis, and we think, hey, what's going on with Vosner Simon? So what's next? I mean, where does this go? And what unanswered questions are there out there, do you think, that still need to sort of be understood? I mean, to your point earlier, the why didn't you tell the public thing, I think I'm not sure we'll get that answer, but 
I have it. And also, I don't want to just be complaining about how hard it is to be a reporter. But here are some facts that I found kind of irksome. On the day of the FDA release, Novartis put out a three-paragraph statement with no quotes from Voss, standing by Zolgensma, etc. It took hours, which is fine, whatever. They told us they were going to have a statement. It came around 7 p.m. Eastern time. Wake up the next morning and find out that Voss was live on a conference call after the fact. We didn't know about this. I mean, I can't speak for the entire media, but I'm pretty sure nobody knew about this. Well, who was on the conference call? Equities analysts. Now, I don't know if Novartis PR is listening to this, but if you do it that way, everybody has questions for your company and you choose to make your CEO available to the financial community. It suggests that your concern is for the stock price, not for the public health or, you know, parent of a child who has spinal muscular atrophy, perhaps, who is concerned about the safety of this drug product. He or she would only be able to learn what you said via reporters who listen to the financial call. I know this is kind of grousing, but I don't know if that was the right move PR-wise. And I guess the question that I would have going forward is, I don't think that Voss is being disingenuous when he talks about repairing Novartis's relationship with the public. My question would be, well, can you explain all that series of decisions? To me, that echoes this criticism about a lack of transparency and kind of how they went about disclosing all this. But I think the other thing to me is, I just want to know why the FDA decided to issue this statement. I mean, we were sitting around in a meeting actually on Tuesday when this came out and like it was surprising. You know, there was no indication of this was coming. And so why at this moment in time did the FDA decide to issue this statement? That to me is an unanswered question. I mean, I think we can kind of understand why the FDA is so angry, but like what happened to make the decision somewhere inside the FDA where like August 5th, we're going to issue the statement about this. And for me, I think the million dollar question is sort of who made the decision at Novartis to not tell the FDA while they were still doing the investigation and while the approval decision was pending? I think that's something they haven't answered and something that they'll be pressured to give a satisfactory answer to in the coming days. Right. And getting back to an earlier point I made is, you know, why didn't they disclose all of this in June? You know, at the same time that they told the FDA they could have come out and said something publicly uh, and they didn't do that. And we haven't really got an understanding of why they didn't do that. Moral of the story being the cover up is always worse than the crime. That does it for another episode of The Read Out Loud. Thank you to Hyacinth Empanado, who produced this week's episode. Matthew Orr and Alyssa Ambrose are our senior producers, and Rick Burke is our executive producer. And as always, we'd love to hear from you. Tell us what you liked about this episode, tell us what you didn't, and tell us what you believe is in Boss's heart. You can do all of that by sending us an email at readoutloud at statnews.com. And if you like what we do, tell your friends about us. Leave a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you use to get your podcasts. See you next week.